The Secret Church podcast is a resource from Radical.net. In Secret Church 9, David Platt looks at Scripture's teaching on the body of Christ, the Church. This study will answer four foundational questions. Who is the Church? What does the Church do? How is the Church led? Where is the Church going? Although many Christians today have minimized or ignored the church, Scripture teaches that the church is central as we seek to glorify God and carry out the Great Commission. For the Secret Church 9 study guide and other resources that go along with this audio, visit Radical.net slash SC9. This is Secret Church 9, Episode 1. What we're going to dive into tonight is the body of Christ, the church. To, to my shame, I slept through discussions of ecclesiology, which is the theology of the church. I slept through discussions of ecclesiology, even when I was in seminary. And I think what was going on in my mind and, and in my heart was representative of, of our tendency across the board in our day to, to minimize the importance of the church to cheapen the church. I want you to think about ways we often cheapen the church. Dive in here. In our independence, we ignore the church. We are in our sinfulness. We are self-reliant, self-sufficient people. We can do even Christianity. We can do that thing on our own. Is the local church really that big a deal? Isn't the church just a formality and unnecessary at that? And it's not just a picture, I don't even think just of our independence, it's also our, our immaturity. Now what's interesting is oftentimes people will talk about how they don't need the church and they'll talk about it in a way that they're trying to show, well, I, I am growing enough in Christ without the church. I don't need the church. So they're trying to show maturity. But, I mean, people will say, I, I love Christ, I just can't stand the church. Don't say that. Yeah, just don't say that. Think about that statement. The church is the bride of Christ. Like, what if I come up to you, bro, and I say, man, I, I love you, but I cannot stand your wife. Like, is that going to be a compliment? You're going to be like, thanks, thanks. I mean, if my, if my, if my wife, the church is the body of Christ. If, if my wife, Heather, comes up to me and says, babe, I love you, but I cannot stand your body. Like, that's not, that's, I'm not going to walk away with chills going down my spine. Like, wow, that was special. No, no. That's immature to say things like that. It's not good. So in our independence and immaturity, we ignore the church. In our pragmatism, we pollute the church. Pragmatism is a fixation on what works. And if something works, then it must, then it must be right. And this is so dangerous because we do this with, with really good motives. In the church, we want to we reach as many people as possible. We want to draw as many crowds, as many people as possible in. But in the process, we begin to appeal to the world. We begin to become like the world that works, that draws the crowd in. But now we're drawing them into a church that we've polluted from the start. And we think we're doing God a favor. 
We pollute the church in our pragmatism and our missions. This is tragic. We minimize the church. Historically, you look at it, the church has oftentimes, and even recently, become so engrossed and so busy doing so many different things that disciple-making and mission just kind of gets left out of the church. And so what happens is you have to spring up all kinds of organizations, parachurch, mission organizations, this or that. I'm not saying they're all bad by any means. Don't, don't hear me saying that. But when you listen to who's talking about disciple-making and going to the nations, you hear it more from these outside organizations than the church. That misses the whole point. And what happens is oftentimes these organizations end up doing it apart from the church or around the church. And that's just foolish. The church is the only agent, the only avenue that God has promised to bless for the advancement of the Great Commission. We can't bypass the church and think we're doing him a favor. I was sitting around not long ago with a, with a group of leaders of some of the largest Christian mission organizations in our country. And you would recognize, I don't know what I was doing there, but I'd been invited to, to just share with them a little bit from the word. And so I shared, and then we had this amazing discussion afterwards. And I just sat back and listened. And one of them said, you know, we, we've missed it. He said, our, our philosophy used to be with the church, you can do it and, and we can help. They said, basically what we've done is we've said, uh, we can do it and, and you can help us. And, and we've, we've missed the point in the process and, and began a discussion about how to platform the church. Yes, that's what we, we need to do. Another tendency, even along this missions line, I, I see some mission organizations. Again, I'm not bashing mission organizations. I think there's a, there's a place here, but the church should be platformed. And when we talk about the church, I see some, some mission organizations talk about, well, we're planting X thousand churches all over this place or that place. But then you ask, well, what is the church? And and, well, if you built a building, then, okay, then you planted a church. Or, well, where two are gathered, then you got more than two Christians, you got a church. Well, that's, that's, that's just lying. Building and or two people does not necessarily qualify church. I saw one the other day that said, for $20, you can plant a church. And this, oh, oh no. You didn't say that. Like, that's cheapening the church in the name of mission. So we minimize the church. We cheapen the church when we elevate our traditions over God's truth. Oh, this is the humbling reality. Much of what we think of when we think of church is far more based on our traditions than it is on God's truth. We say there's the church and we point to a building when in God's word there is not one command to build a building anywhere. And never is the church called a building in that kind of way. And we fill our churches with programs and with stuff that are far more traditional than they are biblical. And in and, and any church you begin to take away some of those programs or stuff and it's like World War III is breaking out. But, but we've elevated our traditions over God's truth. Like you go to places where our brothers and sisters are gathering in secret. And imagine going to a, a late night worship service in the middle of Asia. You put on dark pants and a jacket with a hood on and you get in the car late at night and they drive you under the cover of moonlight into this remote village. You get out with your hood on and this Asian believer meets you and takes you down 
this winding path where you round a corner in a, into a small room, nowhere near even the size of this stage, and there's 60 believers just crammed in on little stools, one little light bulb hanging in the middle. That, you don't have it, any of the stuff that, that we, we have. And somewhere along the way, they, they've just begun to believe that the Spirit of God and the Word of God and the people of God are enough to accomplish the mission of God. And, and that's enough for them. The question is, is that enough for us? We elevate our traditions over God's truth. And we value our preferences over God's priorities. I, I know this, this is obviously, I think, I hope you can tell, there's a real wrestling in my own heart on these things. But there's, there's over 500 million people in the world right now who are on the verge of starvation. They lack food, water, basic medical care. Children dying from diseases like diarrhea. Those who live will suffer from brain damage and early protein deficiency. Others will be forced, sold into forced labor. 150 million of them are orphans. Yet the way we do church, we, we find ourselves saying, well, yeah, but we need a nicer parking lot, don't we? What, what is most important in the heart of God? And what happens when we're going to change our churches and prioritize what is important in the heart of God more than our preferences? Things start to look radically different. If we're not careful, we will practically define the church according to our own personal comforts. We'll say a church is good if it makes me, makes me feel good. It's common in our day. We know the marketplace. I mean, people just shop and hop from church to church to church to church. What's going to work for me? When I drive on campus, I want, I want a nice parking spot. And I want to walk in the door. I want a latte in my hand. I want to drop my kids off at a state-of-the-art program. I want to go listen to an entertaining service that leaves me feeling good and gets me out in a timely fashion so that I can beat the traffic on the way out. No. Are our brothers and sisters around the world and our brothers and sisters in this word not saying loud and clear, you are missing the whole point. Give up your traditions and reorder your preferences and let go of your church, your comforts. The church is not about sipping our lattes. The church is about sacrificing our lives to take the gospel and the glory of Christ to the ends of the earth. So we, we can't cheapen the church. So we need to ask the question, the goal tonight is to ask the question, what is the church? Like, what is the essence of the church? What is essential in the church? And, and think about the stuff that we take on that at, ends up inadvertently, unknowingly, sometimes blindly cheapening the church. Why? Why we must cherish the church. These reasons. Number one, because we love the glory of God. This is huge. From the very beginning, God's very nature in and of himself has provided a platform for 
our understanding community with one another. God desires for his glory to be the foundation of our community in this world. Listen to what Jesus said before he went to the cross. He says, that they may be one, verse 21, talking about his people and particularly these men he's poured into, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. That is an astounding verse. God's glory, just, just as you, Father, are in me, the unity we have, I want them to be one like that. And when that happens, God desires for our community, community to be a reflection of his glory in the world. When that happens, when we're in community like that, the world will know that you have sent me. A lost world cannot see God. But they can see the church. And when they see unity in the church and community in the church, then they'll see the love of the Father toward the Son, shared by the Father and the Son and the Spirit. When they see division and cheapening in the church, then they see a, a cheapening of God. So we want, like Ephesians 3 says, glory in the church. Glory to God in the church. So we cherish the church because we love the glory of God. Second, because we adore the Son of God. Jesus established the church. He's the one who builds it, Matthew 16. He purchased the church. He purchased the church with his own blood. That right there is, Acts 20, 28 is enough to say, we've got to give ourselves to the church and love the church and devote our lives to the church. Acts 20, 28. Jesus identifies himself with the church. I love Acts 9 when Jesus confronts Saul, Paul, and he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul didn't do anything directly to Jesus in the flesh. Who was Saul persecuting? Church. Oh, isn't that good? Like, you mess with the church, Jesus says, you're messing with me. It's good. We adore the Son of God. Because we treasure the Spirit of God. We're going to talk about this in a minute, but... God's Spirit dwells in us. 1 Corinthians 3.16, that you there, don't you? You don't know that you are God's temple. God's Spirit dwells in you. That's a plural you in the church. And we see this imagery in Ephesians 2. We'll talk about this more later. But God's Spirit dwells in the church because we value the gospel of God. The church is designed by God to declare his gospel. That's the whole point of the Great Commission, that the gospel will be declared through the church, which we'll talk about. The church is designed to defend the gospel. Paul exhorts Timothy, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Praise God that for centuries there have been men and women in the church who have faithfully passed the gospel on from one generation to another, to another, to another. Like we didn't just come on the scene in the 20th, 21st century and start this thing like we are indebted to many brothers and sisters who have gone before us and have defended the gospel, which we celebrated even last week with All Saints Day. The church is designed to display the gospel. The church is the gospel made visible. I am firmly convinced, and we'll talk about this in a minute, but if, if we distort the church, we will distort the gospel. God has designed the church in a way that it would be a demonstration of the gospel. So if we distort the demonstration, we will distort the gospel itself. So we value the gospel of God because we desire satisfaction in our own lives. So a little bit of a tinge of self-serving motivation here. We cherish the church 
for our own good. Follow, follow me here. Genesis chapter one, God created us to enjoy life in him. In, we're created in his image to relate to him, to know him, to enjoy him. But don't miss this. God also created us to experience life with others. When you get to chapter two, verse 18 in Genesis, now this is before sin has even entered in the world. And the Bible says, God says, it is not good that the man should be alone. So everything wasn't perfect. Even before sin came into the world, there was still more that needed to be accomplished. When man was alone, he needed, he needed woman. He needed community. We were created, yes, to enjoy life in God, but also to experience life with each other. I think we miss this sometimes when we talk about, when people feel alone, we say, well, well, you're not alone. You have God and that's enough. And there's a tension which, there's a sense in which that's true. Yes, God is sufficient. But God has created us not to be alone in this world. He's created us to experience life. with. It's not good for us to be alone, God says. We need each other. I came across a study, Harvard study, that tracked 7,000 lives over nine years. And listen to what they found. The most isolated people in this study were three times more likely to die than those with the strongest relational connections. Even people who had bad health habits, smoking, Poor eating, obesity, alcohol, bad health habits, but strong social ties, they still lived significantly longer than people who had great health habits but were isolated. Hmm. So the takeaway, it is better to eat Twinkies with friends than, <laughs> than to eat broccoli alone. So mark that down. Like That could be the, your best takeaway from this entire evening. And it's because God has created us that way. That'll preach. So, okay. We want satisfaction in our lives. And then, and then in the end, we want, we cherish the church because we want salvation for the lost. Over and over again in scripture, we see our love for one another in community and in the church tied with the demonstration of that love to those who don't know Christ. John 3, 13, 13, 34, and 35 makes that very clear. Listen, in, in Acts 5, the reputation of the church was highly esteemed and multitudes of men and women were coming in. See, the peace of the church connected with the growth of the church in Acts 9, 31. This is, this is why, ultimately, why we must cherish the church. Because we want to multiply the gospel to every corner on the earth. Because Revelation 5, 9, and 10 says that God desires... A church giving him praise from every tribe and tongue and people and language. And we want that gospel to get to them. And the way it will get to them is through the church. So for all these reasons, we need, we we don't want to cheapen the church. We must cherish the church. So here's where we're going to go from here. This is the plan basically for tonight. First, we're going to look at four questions. One, who is the church? We want to know God's definition of the church. We want to know how God defines his people and his word. Because he didn't say anywhere, pay $15 and you got a church. So anyway, not bitter. Um, So we want to be responsible, biblically responsible with how we define the church. Second, what does the church do? There's a lot of things we already mentioned that we do that the church that God never said to do. So what does the church do? We want to follow God's design for the church. Third, we're going to ask, how is the church led? We want clarity on the organization of the church. We want to know, has God ordained any structure for the church? Or is it just fluid? Is it totally just organic? I guess is the popular word today. Or is there structure? And is that structure good or bad? And then we're going to end uh, a bit after midnight tonight with the question, 
where is the church going? We want confidence in the future of the church. Are you ready? Thank you for listening. You can find more episodes from Secret Church and thousands of other free resources at Radical.net.